It's really exciting for me because when you when you look to preach a message, you you trying you're doing your best to hear from God, and you don't always get it right hearing from God, but you do your best to bring a message that's not only a good teaching, uh, but it's a now word. Amen. And uh, it's just been really encouraging for me because I feel like there's this message that God that, that I feel like is from God, and there's just the things, little things that the Lord's doing, He's speaking and um, just confirming it. So, so I want I want I want you to prepare your heart um, for those who who aren't used to longer worship. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll make sure I preach with intention. To wake you up, all right? So we won't go too long today, but I do really want to share. I, I preached, actually. Who was here at our Jesus night last Sunday night? Awesome. Only a couple of people, which is good because I preached a message there and it's like, I, I need to preach it again. Yeah, I need to share it again because I feel like it's, it's the direction of, of God for just for, um, just for the church, just... Uh, for people and people need Jesus Amen and I've been in church culture long enough to know that you can come and do all the things and be all the things but at the end of the day if you don't have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ and if the church doesn't shine that to the world it can be all amiss and who knows that we do things in church culture which isn't necessarily the kingdom of God. And we do things and we do it long enough to, to realize that it becomes a form of something without power. And then we wonder why God isn't moving. There was, who, who here is over the age of... of uh, It'd be, it'd be 50, over the age of 50 in the room. Come on. Who remembers the Jesus movement? Anyone? Anyone here? Was anyone, did anyone get saved in the Jesus movement in the room? Yes. Come on. The Jesus movement was a movement back in the uh, late 60s, late 1960s and early 1970s. It went probably for about a good, probably 10 years, but really potent for about five years. And so for those in the, who experienced that or who were aware of that, it was in, um, in Southern California, in America. And it was, it was a grassroots movement, right? So it was a grassroots move of God. That it was no big show, big fanfare. There were no big lights, big churches, big all this stuff. Though, though I'm not opposed to that. But it was just a simple move of Jesus Christ upon the earth. People were getting radically saved. All the hippies were getting set free from drugs and alcoholism and addiction. Jesus was rocking up in pubs. Jesus was rocking up in the streets. And he was using little old me, little old yous. Yeah, I'm sure we're ready for that now, hey? And, and it, was, it was a raw move of God. And... I just, uh, th there's a Jesus movement coming again. There is. There's a Jesus movement coming again. It's a Jesus movement. 
There's a Jesus revolution coming. And it's going to strip back all the, all the fanfare, all the celebrity stuff. It's going to strip back even the church to the point where it's only Jesus. It's, it's, you know, in the Jesus movement, there were awkward moments. There was silence in church. No background music to cover all the silence so people wouldn't feel awkward. Because ah! we do that. Because we want to keep people. Because we're like, we don't want people to feel awkward in church and we don't want people to feel, you know, so, so we do all these things to make sure people feel good rather than giving them the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. And, and we see this, so if you look at, if you read what's, and, and, you, and you look at what's going on worldwide, there is a, and so I'm not, I'm not just saying this is a worldwide movement that's hitting the church. If you look at what's going on in Jesus' image over in America, if you look at what's going on with Sean Foyt and his ministry, if you look at what's going on in Brazil, it's a raw move of God. It is. And who knows that it's not the church's job to produce a move of God. It's the church's job to enter in to what God wants to do, to what he's already doing. And there are too many people trying to get God to bless what they're doing rather than laying down at the feet of Jesus and saying, I'm all in for what you want to do. And so God's going to bend some people's wills today. <laughs> the bless me. God, I'm doing this. I'm your son. I'm your child. I'm doing this, Lord. How come it's not working? Who knows that, that sons enter into what their father's already doing. They enter into their father's business. Amen? And so there's this, there is a Jesus movement happening right now. And, and I want to encourage you, look into this. This is what God's doing. He's... he's the church was stripped back in COVID for a reason. Because, and if, if, you, if you want your life to go back to the, exactly the same routine, exactly the same thing in your relationship with God, same prayer life, same, no, no, no. God's shifting that and moving that. And there are people in the room and you've been feeling that. It's like there's been this stripping back. It's like, Lord, what's going on? I've lost all control. And God's saying that's a good thing. Come on. And if you would see that as a positive rather than a negative, maybe it would change your life. <laughs> so, so people, this was like, I mean, this, if this happened today, I'm, I kid you not, and it is happening already, but I'm just preparing you because it, the Jesus movement was messy. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't like... It wasn't like all bells and whistles and everything was slick and, and, and I felt comfortable in church and, and I didn't feel challenged and I didn't see things that didn't challenge me about God. Like it, it, was, it was messy and I just want to prepare you because this is what God's going to do. And, and, and when Jesus starts using me and you and, he, and when he starts using people and he starts coming in a sovereign way to touch people's lives, you've got to guard your heart and prepare your heart for that. And... So one of the pastors, uh, one of the, the, the guy who led it, an amazing man, and he had such a sensitive heart to God because all, all these people were getting saved and, and they weren't church cultured. They weren't used to church etiquette. 
standing behind a pew and just worshipping quietly. They weren't used to that. All the hippies, they were getting all the, all the church floor dirty coming in, probably because they didn't wear shoes, they didn't, you know, and, and everything was, 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 it was mucking up church culture. But who knows, the kingdom of God wants to do that sometimes. God wants to give you a shake-up today, and you thought you just came in for a 45-minute worship a few announcements, some giving, and then a good little sermon, and then you could go home and you could live a good life during the week and be a good Christian. I'm getting someone over here. Because Andrew knows it. He's in, he's, he's in enough places to know that the church really has no idea on what a Jesus movement looks like. And God wants a Jesus people. He wants a Jesus people. He wants a Jesus people. The one thing that they got wrong, in the, not to sit back and judge it, but the one thing they got wrong was they didn't have a healthy eschatology. And so they taught, separate yourself physically from the world because Jesus is coming back tomorrow or in a year's time. Don't study don't, uh, don't, um, don't do all these things in life because Jesus is coming back and just get yourself pure and holy. And so they taught separate yourself physically from the world. Instead of teaching, be the salt and light in the world. Go into your workplace, get a degree and reach people in society. Wow. That's the one thing I believe the Lord's restoring, a healthy view of what it looks like for eschatology, for when there's a revival, a move of God, that it's actually meaning that God wants you to take it wherever you go. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So there's a call of God. This is, there's a call of God upon the lives of every person in this room to jump on in to what Jesus wants to do in your life because God is going to use you. He is. He's going to use you. It's, there's enough mature people in the room to realize that maybe there's a bit more to God than what I've been living in. Amen? So you ready today? I may need, I forgot to get myself a water, but I may need that. Thanks, mate. Romans 6 verse 1. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6 verse 1. I'm, 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 in, I'm, in, I'm in a zone. You, you ready? You, this, is, this is serious. This is important. I, 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 get, I get tired of, 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 doing, of just doing church culture. And I'm just, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for God to move more in my life. And, and I know it's not a, a problem with Him. I know that I need to learn how to receive and enter in to what God wants to do. Amen. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So you know you're preaching the authentic gospel when you have to ask that question. 
By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into, in order, buried through him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone, listen up, anyone who has died to sin has been set free. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, once for all, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there is a spiritual reality in your life. Do you know that the greatest resurrection and power of God was not when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Who knows that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a little bit different because he raised millions of people with him. I was raised from the dead spiritually when Jesus was raised from the dead because we are co-buried and co-resurrected with Jesus. What does that mean? It means spiritually a nature of death and sin within me was crucified with Christ. That's why Paul says to count yourself dead to sin, to being a slave to sin, and what the devil wants to do. And now you have been resurrected with Jesus. That, that is a spiritual reality in the life of every believer. I, I don't care about your behavior right now. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you need to, if you awaken yourself to that reality, that, that you will stop sinning. So the crucified and resurrected life is the pattern that God wants to use in our life. The crucified and resurrected life is a pattern for our lives. God's done it in me spiritually, and that is now the blueprint of how he wants to flow in my life and his calling upon my life. When we come into the kingdom of God, we understand grace and the gospel and all God wants to do. God has committed himself to mine and your success because he's a good father. He's bound himself by covenant. In other words, like a, like a, a, 
like a, a husband to the wife, how he's made a covenant vow to her, to honor, to protect, to love, to be self-sacrificial, to provide. God has made a covenant with Jesus that we have entered into, into the man Jesus, and he has now committed himself to mine and your success. You are blessed and favored and loved despite on who you are, of who you are. That's how good God is. It's not about your goodness. It's about God's goodness. But who knows there becomes a reality in life where sons and daughters mature to the point where life doesn't become the bless me gospel. It comes to the point where it's like, yes, Lord, I have this blessing and this favor in my life. But all of a sudden we realize that the gospel isn't just about that, but the gospel is about transformation. And Romans 8.29 says that the goal of God, of He's a good father and His goal in your life is not to get you more blessed and prosperous. That is a byproduct. His goal in your life is not just to get you happy. His goal in your life is that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. The inner pattern within you would flow out of you. In other words, you need to look more like Jesus in a year than you do today. We're called to live a life of surrender. A crucified and then resurrected life. So, in a, so what the Lord wants to do in my life is that tomorrow I'll be able to forgive a lot easier than I can today. Tomorrow I'll have more faith than I do today. In a year's time, I'll be able to move more mountains than I can today. Because He wants me to be conformed to who He's put on the inside of me. He wants to mold my thinking and believing and who I am to the point where I'm able to walk like Jesus. For as He is, so are we in this world. And Peter... I love the life of Peter because I just, I, I relate well to Peter. He, he, he loved to go for it and he learnt a lot of things. But Peter had a call on his life to lead and pioneer the early church, to bring the gospel into the Greco-Roman world. And there are three circumstances in Peter's life that, are, that are, are really important to understand for us today. There are three fires that Peter was around. And, and I believe for people in this room, there are three fires that we all go through. The first one is in Matthew chapter 26 and Jesus, his He's getting, uh, he's getting whipped, beaten and bruised. He's been taken to court, put on trial because he's going to the cross. And Peter denies Jesus. Denies him to the point where Peter, who had moved in God's love and grace and in God's ability and seen people healed and, and just seen God move through his life, denied to the point where he called down curses on people. Probably not a great day if you're Peter, right? And Peter denies Jesus at a fire. There is a fire of failure 
that every single believer goes through. There is a fire of failure that we go through. I'm not talking necessarily, and I just, I always need to qualify this. I'm not talking about, for example, moral failures. I'm talking about faith failures. I'm talking about stepping out in faith and growing in faith and believing in God, and then, mmm, that didn't work. <laughs> Come on. Anyone ever been there before and, and you realize pretty quickly what, got, what you can't do? Yeah? Yeah. You got the call of God. I got your call upon my life. I know who you are. I know who you've called me to be. I step out. It doesn't work. Yep, I know what I can't do. I know I need you, God. And it's in the fire of failure that you don't beat yourself up. Many Christians, self-condemning, guilt, condemnation, shame, I'm not good enough. God mustn't love me because he hasn't showed up for me. It's in the fire of failure that you learn to be dependent upon God. That's all you have to learn in the fire of failure. That's all Peter realized is that actually I, I just I, I need to I need to surrender. Just I'm trying too hard here, God. This isn't working. This isn't working. And, I, and there are many believers today and you just you need to surrender to the Lord. You just need to realize instead of trying to do all these things, maybe I just need to be dependent upon God and get in my prayer closet and pray and say, Lord, show me what to do. And God is renewing people's prayer lives in the room because your prayer life has been super dry. And, oh, Hello. And God's renewing that because he wants to teach you to be dependent upon him. In Psalm 32 verse 7, David said, The Lord is my hiding place. He protects me from trouble and surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Who knows, David had a lot of failures in his life. And one thing he learned was that through failure, I need to be dependent upon God. Through failure, I need to learn. I step out in faith. I do something. It doesn't work. I've been praying for something and it hasn't come forth. I need to be dependent upon the Lord. And there's people in the room and you think, well, it's this spiritual thing. It's that spiritual thing. It must be this or that or that. And the Lord's saying, no, no, just, just surrender because when you surrender, everything I place in you will flow out of you. And so it's in this place of dependency upon God that he begins to teach you how to walk with him. All of a sudden, language doesn't cut it anymore. Praise, Je praise Jesus, we, we, which is good. But we pick up all this language because we're a part of a family. But the danger is, is that you pick up the language, you talk the talk, and you look like you walk the walk but you're not actually dependent upon God for him to th flow through you in your daily life. And God wants to. He's committed to you. Amen? The second fire that Peter was at was that he is out on the boat. He goes back to his old way of life because who knows that when we feel like we've failed in life or we feel like it's just not working, we just go back into our old patterns of living. 
And I've been there. God has stepped out for you. You didn't come through for me. And, and I just go back to the old pattern of living, things that I'm used to. And God wants to break that off people today. God wants to break old pattern, old ways of thinking, old ways of living off you today because there are things that are hindering you in your life. And as John the Baptist said, the, valley, the valleys need to come up, the mountains need to come down, you need to prepare a highway for the way of the Lord. And he wasn't talking about getting your shovel out and the excavator out and doing a physical highway. It was in your heart. Amen? And Peter, so he's, he's out fishing on the boat because he's denied Jesus. Jesus, where are you? I don't know what you're doing, God. There's this call on my life. There's a, there's a Jesus people. There's these amazing people, friends in my life, but you haven't come through for me, God. What are you doing? And he's out on the boat fishing because he goes back to his old way of living. And so he's out in this boat, and I'm going to crank it up because I don't have a lot of time left. And he's out in the boat, right? And Jesus comes because who knows that Jesus is good. God's good. God's good. There's a fresh revelation of the goodness of God coming to the church. You, we don't have to, and we do it because it's a cry of hunger, but you don't have to twist God's arm to move in your life. You don't have to twist his arm. We enter in, we, we rest in what he's done, in the finished work of the cross. Amen? I can, I can see hearts opening up, which is awesome. We, we, God wants us to live selflessly. He wants us to get to the point of, of surrender and dependency and all of a sudden we learn that it's, it's, it's about him and it's actually uh, like, like Abraham. I, I have this promise on my life, but then I actually give it back to God. And when I give it back to God, he can do something with it. Amen? And so we, we learn to live selflessly. There's too many Christians... And, and we're, we're like, we're not understanding that the, go, the gospel, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus and the behavior of other people doesn't have to determine my behavior. And the love of other people doesn't have to determine my love. And what I go through during the week doesn't have to enter into my heart and soul. And I can actually live a victorious life, reigning in life through the one man Christ Jesus because what God has done in me is actually true. And so the Lord wants to take us there. And Jesus is on the beach. I like beaches. Catch a lot of fish off the beach, and they did. Because who knows when you listen to what Jesus says, he just, he just gets it done. Like the, God's way is just better. And he says, cast, the boat on the, uh, cast your net on the other side, and they do that. They probably moved about two meters across in the water, and they catch 153 fish. And they drag them all up onto the beach and they recognize it's Jesus, right? And he has a fire. So here's another fire. Why? Because the first fire, Peter denied Jesus. And the second fire, Jesus wants to restore Peter. And he brings back familiar memories in Peter's life so that he would realize that I'm actually restoring this part of your life. And so he's in the, the second fire, and Jesus asks Peter, he's cooking a meal for him. Why? Because in biblical times, whenever you had a meal with someone, it was renewing covenant. 
and it was a place of fellowship and union. So if you didn't like someone, don't invite them over to dinner. And Jesus, there's, there's this, he says to Peter this really strange thing. Do you love me three times? He says it. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. If you read that in the Greek, there are two Greek, two Greek words which I'm going to talk about for love. One, one is the word phileo, which means a brotherly love. So you don't, you don't love your best mate or brother as you do your wife. I hope not. And the second one is the word agape. And who knows that that is the love of the cross, a self-sacrificial love, a, a love that lays down your life for others. And every time Jesus says to Peter, he says, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. Every single time. And Jesus gets to the point at the end in the third one where he says, okay, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, I do. Who knows that Peter wasn't there yet? He wasn't. And there's a reason Jesus, this is in John 21, there's a reason Jesus prophesies his death. That's not very nice, Jesus. I don't, I don't want to hear a prophecy of my death. Don't give out those prophecies in church. <laughs> don't do that. Prophetic culture and protocol, don't do that. God won't give it to you anyway. So it's not the Lord. But Peter gets a prophecy of his death. Jesus says, when you are older, you get taken to where you don't want to go. And who knows that Jesus died upside down, crucified for Jesus. Peter, thank you. It's good having people who know their Bibles in church because otherwise you'd be in trouble for that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> He's preaching a false gospel here. What's he going on about this guy? I can't trust him. Um, <laughs> and the reason Jesus does that is because He's telling Peter that I'm restoring you to the point in your identity where you'll get it. You're not there yet, but at this fire, it's the fire of identity where God begins to shape and mould you and prophesy over you who you are called to be, all He's placed in you, His anointings and giftings upon your life, so you'll realise that maybe God wants to use me, maybe the call of God upon my life is real. Yeah. It's a reality. Yeah. He's going to get it done. So there's a place of surrender where I'm dependent upon God and then I'm in the fire of identity where God's molding me and shaping me. There's my union with God, my union with Jesus in the secret place. He begins to show me who I am as I open up the Scriptures and the Bible. I realise what it says about me and maybe it's true and it begins to pierce my heart and my soul to the point where God begins to prophesy over me my future. He begins to prophesy over you what you can do. And there are too many people in the room and you've got a lot of faith in God, but you've got no faith in yourself. And what he wants to do is he wants to put a faith in you in what he's given you, in your own ability. I used to play a lot of basketball growing up and so I did a lot of practice during the week 
But who knows, the whole point of practice is that when you get to a game, you'll be confident enough to do well. And that when you go to shoot a free throw under pressure, you'll hit the free throw because you've hit it a hundred times in practice. There's a, the, the practice puts a faith that what I've built within myself will actually come out when I need to perform under pressure. Peter, in Matthew 26, the pressure comes and he shrinks back. And so the Lord takes him to the, to the fire at the beach because he wants to put a faith in him of what he's placed in him and the gifts and callings upon his life. This is where God begins to mould your convictions. This is where God begins to strengthen you in the fire. He begins to refine you. He takes you to the point where he, he strips you back and it, it, it's a good thing and, and you've got to bring good theology into this. This is not God puts sickness on people. This is not, oh, God's brought this thing along to teach me a lesson. But this is God, I, I, like Jesus in the wilderness, I'm led by the Lord because he begins to pull back things because he wants to teach me who I am and what he's placed in me so that I have a confidence to step out when the time comes. So a healthy faith and love for God means that you have a healthy faith in yourself and love for yourself. So God wants to break off self-hatred in the room and self-doubt. Amen? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, build your life upon the rock. Build your life upon my words, my teaching." Don't build your house upon the sand. In other words, there were people building their house upon not the Word of God. And so what God does is He comes along in our lives and lovingly and tenderly, He begins to strip things back a little bit because that's not going to withstand the storm. And so He strips things back a little bit and then lovingly and tenderly, he begins to build things up because he builds the house upon the rock. He builds it upon his word. Are you getting this today? Yeah. Esther is one of one of a great prophetic picture in the Bible of what God wants to do in your life. She's taken into exile into Babylon. She's in, she's in Persia. So this is a whole Jewish community that's taken out into, into Persia during the exile. And, and a few go back and some, some are still stuck there. And Who knows that her original name was Hadassah? She was an orphan, right? But they gave her the name Esther because they needed to cover up her Jewish identity in a foreign land. And she's a beautiful woman and she gets taken into the king's palace, into the king's courts. And she has favour with the king and she's given favour in the world. You would look at her, she would look at her life and say, well, I've been taken into exile, but now God's favoured me because he's given me favour 
with in, in he's given me favor in the workplace he's given me favor in this land i'm in, i'm at the king's table I'm, I'm 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 the queen now she's got favor and she's got a call of god on her life amen but the the name hadassah means myrtle tree and they would use that in jewish culture for perfume it means a sweet smelling aroma the name Esther means to be hidden. And so she, here, here she is, and her identity is hidden. But God wants to bring out of her a sweet-smelling aroma. Who knows that Paul says in First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, someone check me up on that, First or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are led in a triumphal procession and we are to be a sweet-smelling aroma of Jesus Christ to the world. And there are too many believers where you're in the world and God's placed you and planted you there for a reason, but you're hidden. And so He wants to take you through the fire of identity so that your true identity will come forth and instead of shrinking back, you'll begin to walk and live and move by faith. And Mordecai comes to Esther it's her cousin. And let me read this to you. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, so there is, a, there is a plot for all the Jews to be killed. Right? Every Jewish person is in trouble. Esther's in a place of influence. She can influence the king, so she has a decision to make. When, Esther, when, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent this back saying, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone. You alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's house will perish. And who knows, but you have come to... So this is the famous part. Everyone, everyone knows this line. Who knows that you've come to your royal position... For such a time as this, Esther has a choice to make. I can live the, the bless me gospel. God will still love me. God still, he, he, he'll still care for me. He's a good father. I'm his child. Or I can surrender, let the Lord work on my identity. And I can do what God's called me to do and be the Isaiah 61 planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. And in, oh, maybe I won't say that, it's a bit challenging. Instead of being a closet Christian, I'll actually begin to impact society in such a way where people can see who Jesus truly is and it won't be difficult because it's a surrendered, a crucified life. But who knows, and we're about to get there, for everyone falling asleep, thinking about what you're going to get for lunch, we're almost there because who knows that the Lord doesn't leave you in crucified. It's the inner pattern. There's a resurrection. And listen to what Esther says. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai in Esther 4 verse 15. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. So they're all saved a lot of money 
for three days. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. And on the third day, she entered the king's hall. So the law of the land was you you can't go see the king unless you had an appointment with him. If you did, you will die. Esther has a decision to make. Am I going to live a surrendered life or am I going to live a good life? Am I going to live a life that's actually laid down to follow what God's doing or am I just going to live a good life? You get what I'm saying? (laughs) Because, you know, God loves every single person living a good life. God loves that. But if I'm not surrendered to the Lord, things that get messy in life are going to take me out. And Esther comes to the point where she says, well, you know what, Lord? I'm at this fire of identity and I'm going to let you do it. Because at the fire of identity, like Peter, we encounter the fiery love of Jesus Christ. And we begin to learn to live out of union with Jesus where his love begins to shape and mould our hearts and we begin to all of a sudden, like Isaiah the prophet, say, yes, God, send me, use me. Don't use the person next to me, use me. (laughs) Because there's a hunger that comes to your heart to the point where you say, Lord, everything you've given me to do, I give it back to you. I surrender to you, now breathe upon it and do it. And Esther goes into the king's hall and the king listens to her. There's an edict, that, a verdict that goes throughout the whole land and all the Jewish people are saved. And It's at this fire of identity that God wants to, wants to shape you. And it's... There are things in our lives, there are things in our lives where God says that, hey, if, 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 you would just, if you would just spend some time with me, if you would just realize how good I am, if you would just to commit to, to, to living by faith just a little bit, I'll, 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 begin to, I'll begin to everything that I've placed in your spirit, man, will begin to flood into your heart and soul. And, and instead of having to get someone to, to pray for you, truth would just pierce your heart. Amen? And you begin to live it out. The last fire, I'm almost done. And then I, I, I do want to pray for people today. I, just, I, felt like, I felt like God saying that there's... I want to pray simply for people that there's a call of God on your life and, and it's like Esther, there, there's, you're just in that hiding place but God wants to pull you out. He wants to pull you out of that because He wants to show you who you truly are. He wants to show you what you can do with Him. Amen? So the third fire Peter is at is the fire of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And... Peter's gone through the fire of failure, the fire of identity, 
announced the fire of Pentecost. Who knows that God took him to that place because Peter learnt that now I'm dependent upon the Lord. Now, once there's crucifixion, there is a resurrection. The power of God begins to flow through my life when I surrender because God then takes that and releases resurrection life. There is a collision between the faithfulness of God and your faith. And in Acts chapter 2, they're waiting on God and the Holy Spirit baptizes them in power to be a witness. Why? Because they were selfless enough to say that, God, I want you to be a witness to people around me. I don't want you just selfishly, but I want you to be a witness to people around me in my workplace. I want to bring a move of God. I want to be your love. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be your grace. I don't want to just live a life of survival. I want to live a life where I begin to reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Peter, the fire of the Spirit comes and who knows that's a term of accommodation for God to show us that, that this is how I can come in your life. Because fire purifies, fire burns things up, and then fire brings resurrection. In Romans 6, look at this. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you get that now? Do you get it? That God calls me to a life of surrender and then there is a resurrection where His power is now able to flow through me because I've surrendered to the point where I'm a yielded vessel. Who knows, that's not hard work. Rest and surrender is not hard work. Right? And what Peter learned is that if I become dependent upon God, if I... If I allow His fiery love to pierce my heart and shape and mould who I am, if I surrender to who He is, then there's the Acts 2 fire of Pentecost that comes in my life. So why don't we stand? Lord, I thank You for Your call upon everyone's life. I thank You, God, that we are a Jesus people. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's about your ability, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can surround ourselves with you in the day of trouble because you sing over us a song of deliverance in Jesus' name. And I ask God right now that you come to people's lives 
and you reveal and restore the giftings and anointings you've placed in people. That, Father, people would begin to realize that they're called to be a part of the team. Father, I pray right now that there would be a that there would be a renewed passion in people's prayer lives. Father, I pray for those people in the room and your devotional life is dry. I pray right now, God, that the rain of heaven would flow through them in Jesus' mighty name. And that it wouldn't be about having to do something, but it would be about being with someone. I pray for that, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I, I pray for those who are, who are following you, Lord, who, who, who know that the call of God is on their life, who, who are beginning to function in their gifting, in their calling, but there's still a, a hiddenness. And I pray in Jesus' name over your life that you, that you would begin to see the vision, that you, would begin to, that you would begin to get a glimpse of what the Lord wants to do in the place that He's planted you in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. I thank you, Holy Spirit. 